chamber is pure theater. Below the friezes of Moses and Hammurabi, the buzz-cut U.S. Marshals scowl the visitors into silence. The justices still have ceramic spittoons at their feet. At 10 a.m. sharp, wait for the buzzer and watch everyone snap to their feet. As a marshal cries, oh yay, oh yay, oh yay, watch Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, known around the court as RBG, as she takes her seat at the winged mahogany bench. Look around her neck. When the jabot with scalloped glass beads glitters flat against the top of RBG's black robe, it's bad news for liberals. That's her descent collar. On June 25th, 2013, RBG's mirrored descent collar glinted blue and yellow in reflected light. By then, in her ninth decade of life and her twentieth year on the court, RBG looked fragile and bowed, dwarfed by the black high-backed chair. But people who had counted her out when she had cancer were wrong both times. People who thought she couldn't go on after the death of Marty Ginsburg, her husband of fifty-six years, were wrong too. RBG still showed up to do the work of the court without missing a day. She still pulled all-nighters, leaving her clerks voicemails with instructions at two or three in the morning. The night before had been a long one. From RBG's perch, third from the right in order of seniority, she sometimes gazed up at the marble columns and wondered to herself if she was really there or if it were all a dream. But that Tuesday morning, her eyes were on her notes. The opinion was long finished, but she had something else to say, and she wanted to get it right. She scribbled intently as Justice Alito, seated to her left, read two opinions, about a land-use case and a bitter custody case involving Indian law. Those were not the cases the cameras were waiting for. It was a two-box day. There was one more left. It was Chief Justice John Roberts's turn to announce an opinion he had assigned himself— The case was Shelby County v. Holder, a challenge to the constitutionality of a major portion of the Voting Rights Act. Roberts has an amiable Midwestern affect and a knack for simple but elegant phrases that had served him well when he was a lawyer arguing before the justices. Any racial discrimination in voting is too much, Roberts declared that morning. But our country has changed in the last fifty years. One of the most important pieces of civil rights legislation of the 20th century had been born of violent images, the faces of murdered civil rights activists in Philadelphia, Mississippi, Alabama state troopers shattering the skull of young John Lewis on a bridge in Selma. But for this new challenge to voting rights that came from 60 miles from Selma, Roberts had a more comforting picture to offer the country. High black voter turnout had elected Barack Obama, There were black mayors in Alabama and Mississippi. The protections Congress had reauthorized only a few years earlier were no longer justifiable. Racism was pretty much over now, and everyone could just move on. RBG waited quietly for her turn. Announcing a majority opinion in the court chamber is custom, but reading aloud in dissent is rare. It's like pulling the fire alarm— a public shaming of the majority that you want the world to hear. Only 24 hours earlier, RBG had sounded the alarm by reading two dissents from the bench, one in an affirmative action case and another for two workplace discrimination cases. 
as she had condemned the court's disregard for the realities of the workplace, Alito, who had written the majority opinion, had rolled his eyes and shook his head. His behavior was unheard of disrespect at the court. On the morning of the voting rights case, the woman Alito had replaced, RBG's close friend Sandra Day O'Connor, sat in the section reserved for VIPs. Roberts said his piece, then added, evenly, Justice Ginsburg has filed a dissenting opinion. RBG's voice had grown both raspier and fainter, but that morning there was no missing her passion. Alito sat frozen, holding his fist to his cheek. The noble purpose of the Voting Rights Act, RBG said, was to fight voter suppression that lingered, if more subtly. The court's conservative justices were supposed to care about restraint and defer to Congress, but they had wildly overstepped. Hubris is a fit word.